Hi there, this is Taylor checking in with some conservation news from the past couple weeks for Pelicanus and Intentional Ecology. Working in the environmental field is an experience of some very high highs and some low lows. As always, there are horrendous environmental stories that deserve our attention, action, and mobilization, but it is our opinion that you can find those headlines in many places. But there are also empowering and inspiring stories that demonstrate major conservation successes from around the globe, achieved by real people who have grouped together to create a better planet. We've been collecting these stories and messages every week for years, and I'm still surprised at how resilient and creative both nature and humans are when facing big challenges. Hi everyone, we've got a handful of headlines for today's Pelicanus news. I've categorized them into technology and wildlife. These stories are truly incredible and also reminders that conservation can actually work. All right, the first one and only one in the technology category, scientists design a smart device to harvest daylight. This is coming out of sciencedaily.com. A team of Nanyang Technological University scientists have designed a smart device to harvest daylight and relay it to underground spaces, reducing the need to draw on traditional energy sources for lighting. In Singapore, authorities are looking at the feasibility of digging deeper underground to create new space for infrastructure, storage, and utilities. Demand for round-the-clock underground lighting is therefore expected to rise in the future. To develop daylight harvesting devices that can sustainably meet this need, the team drew inspiration from the magnifying glass, which can be used to focus sunlight into one point. They used an off-the-shelf acrylic ball, a single plastic optical fiber, a type of cable that carries a beam of light from one end to the other, and computer chip-assisted motors. The device sits above ground, and just like the lens of a magnifying glass, the acrylic ball acts as a solar concentrator enabling parallel rays of sunlight to form a sharp focus at its opposite side. The focus sunlight is then collected into one end of a fiber cable and transported along it to the end that is deployed underground. Light is then emitted via the end of the fiber cable directly. At the same time, small motors, assisted by computer chips, automatically adjust the position of the fiber's collecting end to optimize the amount of sunlight that can be received and transported as the sun moves across the sky. The, de the device overcomes several limitations of current solar harvesting technology. In conventional solar concentrators, large curved mirrors are moved by heavy-duty motors to align the mirror dish to the sun. The components in these systems are also exposed to environmental factors like moisture increasing maintenance requirements. This new device, however, is designed to use the round shape of the acrylic ball, ridding the system of these heavy-duty motors to align with the sun and making it compact and more environmentally friendly. That is really cool and super exciting too. The rest of these headlines in our, are in our wildlife category and um, I love all of them. They're all really cool. This first one is coming out of dailyinterlake.com. Uh, Grizzly bears stay on the endangered species list. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is recommending no change to the current listed status of the grizzly bear in the lower 48 states, as threatened under the Endangered Species Act, following the completion of a five-year status review. 
The recommendation follows a thorough review of the best available science, informed by an independently peer-reviewed species status assessment, the, the federal agency said. Grizzly bears are currently listed as threatened under the ESA. Locally, about a thousand bears live in the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem, a broad swath of land that includes Glacier National Park and then runs south along the Continental Divide to the Ovando area. The 2019 population estimate was 728 grizzlies in the Greater Yellowstone. Grizzly bears continue to expand outside that range, however. The grizzly is listed under the Endangered Species Act as a single entity in the lower 48 states. As such, the status review and recommendation is made to the listed species as a whole. All right, this next one I'm very excited to see. It is coming out of veildaily.com. Federal judge's ruling ends Colorado's plan to kill hundreds of mountain lions in the upper Arkansas River Basin. A U.S. District Court judge has ruled that federal dollars cannot be used to fund a Colorado Parks and Wildlife plan to kill hundreds of mountain lions in the upper Arkansas River Valley as part of a study of the impact of predators on declining mule deer populations. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service needed to conduct its own environmental analysis of Colorado's predator management plan before funding long-term projects that kill bears and jaguars, Judge Marsha Krager ruled. She ruled that the federal agency should have conducted its own environmental review, not relied on another agency study, when it helped pay for the killing of as many as 230 mountain lions between Leadville and Salida as part of a Colorado Parks and Wildlife plan to bolster mule deer herds. At least for right now, there is no federal funding for a $4 million project, and without the funding, they will not be able to move forward in the same capacity, said Andrea Zaccardi, an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity which sued the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in 2018 over its support for Colorado Parks and Wildlife's plan. The federal court ruling cuts funding for a nine-year project that would remove half of the mountain lions in the upper Arkansas River Basin. An application for federal funding for the mountain lion reduction in the basin shows costs ranging from $358,000 to $435,000 a year, and the state asked the federal government to pay roughly 75% of that cost. A uh, spokeswoman with a Fish and Wildlife Service said the, the service is aware of the court's decision and will be considering the next steps. This next one is from biologicaldiversity.org. The endangered candy darter fish wins 368 stream miles of protected critical habitat in Virginia. In response to a decade of action from conservation groups, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service finalized critical habitat protection for the candy darter, a small, brightly colored fish under the Endangered Species Act. Protecting critical habitat for the candy darter will help this little fish stave off extinction and will save a beautiful piece of Appalachia's rich natural heritage for future generations, said Tierra Curry, a senior scientist at the Center for Biological Diversity. Critical habitat protection will ensure that any federally funded or permitted activity will be reviewed by the service to make sure it is not harmful to the fish's habitat. The candy darter has been lost from at least half of its range. There are 18 surviving populations, only five of which are considered to be healthy. The fish was originally known from 35 populations and was once relatively common throughout its range. The darter was first identified as being in need of federal protection in 1982. The center, West Virginia Highlands Conservancy, 
The Clinch Coalition and other groups petitioned for protection of the candy darter in 2010, and the fish finally gained an Endangered Species Act protection in 2018. And this last, this last uh, headline um, is one of my favorite. Uh, this is coming from independent.com. California's Central Coast welcomes first gray wolf in over 100 years. Now, I've also seen other headlines that say it may be in over 200 years, but we're going to go with that. All right. A young male gray wolf who broke from his Oregon pack in search of new territory and a mate has made his way all the way to California's central coast, marking the first time in more than a century that the species has been detected there. In an epic journey that took around two months, the wolf, known as OR-93 and fitted with a radio collar, traveled 600 long miles and crossed at least two busy highways to reach San Luis Obispo County on the 6th of April. Experts say if OR-93 continues his southeast trajectory through the Los Padres National Forest, he could enter Santa Barbara County in a matter of days. It's really exciting, said Jeff Cooper, director of Los Padres Forest Watch, a wilderness protection organization. We certainly hope he stays safe out there. California's gray wolf population was wiped out in the early 1900s during a nationwide eradication effort led by the livestock industry. In the 2000s, a handful made their way from Canada back into Washington and Oregon. And in 2011, OR7 was the first to cross California's border. OR93 is the 17th wolf known to have entered the state since then. According to the California Fish and Wildlife, fewer than a dozen wolves currently live in California. That includes the Lassen Pack, which consists of five wolves, a new pair spotted late last year in Siskiyou County, and now OR93. So great. I hope these stories bring some optimism and lightness to your month, and I look forward to sharing more in the future.